Uh, I'm really excited to be here. Like I said, my name is Gage Henry, and this is a great day to preach because everybody's just smiling today. Everybody looks happy today. So Merry Christmas. Okay, there it is. All right, we're happy now. All right, smiling's my favorite elf. Okay, I'm, I'm excited to be able to preach to you guys today because I believe that God has something to say to each and every individual here. And the last time we were in this room was actually last week, and uh, the Christmas play happened on this stage. So give it up for the kids team and the Christmas play. They pulled it off. They're actually watching it over there. And I've learned that my new role in being a father is to actually watch the kid outside of the event. So there's like a crew of dads who were out there. And it was funny to watch. Like literally I saw three sheep like take off, like little kids, like take off across the lobby and like a poor college kid chasing him with his like shepherd's hat on. Like, oh no. And I'm like, at least we're biblical, right? Like this makes sense. That is great to watch a Christmas play. And I thought to start off this moment together, I would show you a picture of my family at our own very Christmas play that we would do a tradition. And it's funny because they're all sitting in the front row right now. And thank God, Tyler, you got some contacts. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah, there he is. Okay. Making sure he's behind me. And uh, so that's my family. And that's what we would do. We'd have this moment where we do a nativity scene where we talk about Jesus and remember why we have Christmas. And so this is a a picture of us. You can take it down. It's kind of scaring me from behind looking at you (laughs) the back corner. But but for me, like, that's kind of like a tradition, right? And there's so many traditions that you probably have in your own life. And I feel like Christmas, if we're really honest, is this competing reality with, like, our life. Where all of a sudden I'm supposed to be super excited and happy and joyful, but I still have all the stress and the anxiety of the end of the year and work and all the other pressures that I feel on myself. And at the same time, it's like I'm supposed to somehow reconcile some of the most painful, broken situations and then celebrate at the same time. And even it could be your family. Your family could drive you nuts. And you're supposed to like enjoy this nostalgic moment when maybe the only thing you can think about is the fact that certain people aren't there. And so I I show this picture up here because not only do we need to attach our peace to the promises of God, but this picture means something different than what you maybe think. You can put it back up on the screen. I mean, I'm I'm a young kid. That's me on top, the awesome headband, Tarzan um, in the Christmas story. And it's a moment where I'm very innocent, right? Well, that night we get a call from our aunt and it's only the call that you get where you're like, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. You know that call, we get the call and all of a sudden the atmosphere of the room shifted because we get a call that says from my aunt that my uncle was on a tractor driving home in a car, ended up colliding with his tractor and he was killed. So somehow the innocence of Christmas colliding with something like that that you look at this picture, you're like, oh, that's cute. But really, for me, it's like, man, that was reality hitting. And I don't know about your Christmas season or your situation. Two years ago, on Christmas Eve, at our family, my mom is not feeling well. Come to find out, she goes to the hospital. The next day on Christmas Day, we find out that she has kidney failure. We spend Christmas Day in the hospital. Three weeks later, we find out that she was in the hospital because stage four breast cancer has come back. The same week we find that out, my wife and I, Shelby, we find out we're having a son, our first child. Now I'm telling you that because this is the tension. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means that we're stuck in between the tension of the brokenness and the pain and the suffering of this world and horrible situations, but also the fact that we're supposed to celebrate and be excited about the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus is here. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's a reminder. I mean, my mom's sitting in the front row right here, still fighting. And that's, 
She shouldn't be here, right? But she is. Because God has not done with her life. And so there are moments in your life, there are moments and situations right now, I can feel the tension in the room that you have your own stuff that you're carrying into Christmas season this year. And part of being a believer, like I said, is carrying that tension well. So what do we do with that? For me, I believe it's on the other side of recognizing we are called to walk by the Spirit, by hearing the voice of God. So if you were here last week, you know, what do we do in this period of waiting? We have to trust the word in the waiting. We have to attach our peace to the promises of God. But I look around the room and honestly, my vision for this time is I want you to be able to discern the voice of God for yourself. Because if you think about it, if God wants a personal relationship with us, that means he has to have individualized communication with us. So that means that God wants to say something to your life, your season, your circumstance. He wants to speak into it, intervene on your behalf, and do something amazing and powerful. And so I believe that God has the opportunity to unleash the Holy Spirit on us. And I believe it will happen today because this word is living and active, never returns void, sharper than a double-edged sword, can pierce between soul and spirit. That's how powerful this book is. And I want you to be able to look back and think, you know, home for the holidays is not necessarily where you end up on Christmas Eve, but you can actually find your home in these pages. And you can see God revealing himself, God speaking to you in a powerful and personal way. So if you came in today and you're wondering, like, I need a word from God. I'm in a season that's hard. I'm fighting. I believe God has a word for you today. And I'm praying that he will speak breakthrough because I know that so many of us in the tension of life, we miss out on the voice of God. So I want to ask this question before we get going. If I were to look at your life right now, is the power of God evident? I mean, like, is the power of God on display? Like, he's not just like this theological, historical book that I read about, and there's this God, and this is very general. But I mean, like, does God speak to you? Do you say yes when he calls you to something? Is the Holy Spirit evident? Like, literally, God, if you don't show up, I don't know who will. That kind of faith. So if we talked about last week, the, the promises from God, the title of last week was the word in the waiting. The title of this week's sermon is the power in the promise, the power in the promise. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, you look strong today. Say it like you actually mean it. You look strong today, even if it's a lie. You look strong today. We're going to get going. So the, the reason why I ended up moving to Auburn, I'll tell you, so uh, ministry for me, I actually struggled for a while. I, some of you in this room actually are in ministry and some of the struggles that you find yourself in is this whole thing where you talk about the promises of God all the time, but sometimes you're completely removed from the power of God in your life. Like he can be speaking something. You could, you could talk about this book all day long. You know all the theological implications. You know theology like nobody else. But for some reason, it feels like the power of God is completely absent from your life. And I find myself, and I found myself exactly in that state for a couple of years into ministry when I first started. Because why'd you go into ministry? This radical moment of faith where you're like, God, I'm believing and trusting. This is the call you have in my life. Next thing I know, I don't even have personal revelations ever from God. But I'm sitting here telling somebody they need to have those. And so what happened in my life is I began to be spiritually sick. I began to have these symptoms of like, man, I don't even really want to go to work. I don't really want to do this. And I'll never forget, we were here interviewing. I was actually sitting in this seat. I think that one. Great seat. Great seat choice. Not to call you out. Um, but if you need to move somewhere, this is a great moment for you. Uh, but for me, I was thinking, like, do we want to move to Auburn? I was sitting in right there. Do we want to move to Auburn? You know why we moved here? 
It's not because the church is awesome, which it is. It's not because, I mean, Auburn's God's country, right? Amen? Like, it's not because <laughs> the city, it's not because miles, it's not because all these different reasons. You know why I moved here? Because my wife cried in church, sitting right there with me. We've been married for a couple years, never cried in church. The Holy Spirit came in that moment and was like, this is what I'm calling you to. And I felt the power of God. The promises that I knew were true all of a sudden became real for my life. And so I want that for you guys. I want you to experience the power of God as he speaks. So it's funny because when I moved here, the first book I read was a book called Hearing God by Dallas Willard. It's an awesome read if you want to discern the voice of God. It's ironic because I started reading it after I moved here. But in that book, Dallas Willard has a quote that I think will frame up our conversation today. And it says this, many discussions about hearing God's voice speak of three points of reference, also called three lights, that we can consult in determining what God wants us to do. There are circumstances, impressions of the Spirit, and passages from the Bible. When these three things point in the same direction, it is suggested that we be sure the direction they point is the one God intends for us. I love that. The circumstances of your life, where you find yourself in, the impressions of the spirit, the nudgings towards a direction, and the passages of the Bible, looking through the lens of scripture. Those three things, when they collide in the same direction, you need to move. And that's what Dallas Willard is saying. So last week we talked about this guy, Simeon. And I'm actually gonna look right back into the same passage and talk about the prophecy that he has. And Simeon, I just want you to understand the context, the circumstances that Simeon found himself in. This is the one who actually held Jesus um, and said this is the salvation of the world and he, you know, there's a dedication at the temple. We talked about this. But Simeon, if you think about his life, he's old by the time Jesus is born. Well, the history of Jerusalem in 63 BC, Rome takes over Jerusalem, lays siege to it. In 40 BC, a man named King Herod or Herod the Great becomes king of the Jews meaning he rules over all of them. So for 40 years, this is the king of the Jews. Well, Herod finds out that the actual king of the Jews is being born in Bethlehem. So he sends these magi to go find him so he can worship him, which the magi are really smart about it. And they actually outwit Herod, hence why they're called the wise men. Um, But they outwit Herod and they end up pointing him the wrong direction. And Herod orders the decree of killing every baby boy in all of Bethlehem. And then Mary and Joseph find out about this and they actually flee to Egypt. This is the Christmas story, by the way. If you've never heard it, this is the actual Christmas story. So Simeon, this man, think about this. For 40 years, what did he have? He had the word of God. Well, not this exact Bible, but he had the word of God, the Torah. But he also had a personal revelation that God had given him, that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. That's all he had, 40 years, until it happens. And that's the story that we're gonna jump into today. And the point is, for me, Simeon, the name Simeon means God hears. The name Simeon means God hears. I believe he hears us today. So if you have your Bible, hold it up. See how the Bible attendance is. This is a a Miles favorite thing. We hold it up towards heaven. Have your Bible, hold it up. All right, let's do a Bible drill this way. Keep your Bible up if you still have Christmas shopping left. Keep your Bible up if you still have Christmas shopping left. Wow, Makes sense, the 11 o'clock service, procrastinators. Y'all are my people. Come on, we'll put it up. All right, everybody turn with me to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. There'll be a prayer team in the back for all you who are still stressed about that. Just kidding, all right. Let's go to Luke chapter two. We're gonna be in verse 25. 
Luke chapter two, verse 25. If you're there, say I'm there. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed in a sword will pierce your own soul too. Okay, so Simeon, his name means God hears. You watch what happens. There's this moment where he got a promise. The Holy Spirit would reveal something, Lord's Messiah being here. So he moved from this promise to now he goes into this praise where he's saying, sovereign Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. And then he moves into this prophecy afterwards. That's so verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required. So what, why am I saying this? So this is the moment where you notice how Luke is so detail-oriented. He's a physician, he's a doctor. He is establishing the power source for the promise. See, the Holy Spirit always illuminates Jesus. It says in John 16 that he glorifies the Son, which means right now he keeps saying, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, why? To point us to the fact that the power source for the promise is the Holy Spirit himself. And what does it say? When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required, which is circumcision, it's the very act that makes sure that you are a part of God's family. If you are not circumcised, you're a Gentile. That means that you, are not, you do not belong in God's family. So they're going to fulfill the law. It's a unique relationship that they have. So that's why they're there. And what happens? Simeon took him in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord. I love that title. Sovereign Lord is actually one word. But what it means is this, is this is Simeon's opportunity to say, God, you have my total obedience and you have my complete allegiance. Take all the authority over my life. Sovereign Lord, you are in control. Think about this. Simeon, who's a man who was taught by the word of God, who was led by the spirit of God, who is obedient to the will of God, now has privileged to see the salvation of God in his hands, Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That word actually is seeing your Yeshua, aka my eyes have seen your Jesus. To see Jesus is to see salvation. Too much of the time we get caught up in thinking about salvation as something that you do, but it's someone that you know. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, from scripture alone, for God's glory alone, that you may be saved. My eyes have seen your Yeshua. But not only me. It says, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
The child's father and mother marveled at what was being said about him. The reason why they said that they're marveled about him is because this is the moment where it clicked. Hey, he's not just for our people. He's for the whole world. He's the savior for everyone. And so we notice what happens here. He's about to move into a prophecy. And so when you think about the word prophecy, I know that's like a strange word, a churchy word. When you think about prophecy, it's usually from a prophet speaking to a specific individual for a reason, but it has like implications for everybody else. Okay, it's like a specific call, but also has implications. And that's where we're gonna land and spend most of our time today. So read in verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And everybody would have known immediately, this was actually referenced to Isaiah 8, 14, which says, he, the Messiah, will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus will be the stumbling stone of your life or he'll be the rock of your foundation. But now there's no option to make a choice or not make a choice. There's no neutrality. It's impossible. And if you look at the life of Jesus, what actually happens is he does not come to incite violence among us, even though it happens. He came to claim allegiance from us. And so that word rise actually means resurrection. It's the same word, anastasis, which means resurrection. What am I saying? I'm saying that in your life, if you follow Jesus and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that means you have resurrection power on your life. That means you have access to the power of God through the Holy Spirit. But I don't know about you, my life at times, especially in moments where it kind of get comfortable, my life does not look powerful at all. I look paralyzed. Can anyone else agree? Like, I feel like most of the time, I think there's two reasons why. Number one, I think it's actually option overload. Like we have so many different options and so many different things in our life to pick from. And we're trying to get this like perfect lifestyle. I mean, I'm the college pastor, so let's be honest. Most of the college students I deal with would graduate as an undecided major if they could. Okay, can we just be honest about that? And what happens? Auburn says, nah, sorry, you gotta make a choice. So what does that mean? It means they stay undecided about their career forever afterwards, right? Like, this is literally what I feel like our culture says. Pick whatever you want. There's so many options. There's 30 options for bread in the supermarket. I don't even know which one to pick, right? We have option overload. And number two, I think what happens is our culture, we're not just cultural Christians anymore in Auburn, Alabama. We've become, I would call, consumer Christians, this is from a pastor in New York that we follow closely, but what happens is you start thinking about like, oh, I really like those sermons from that person, or I really like that music from that band, or I'm glad, I wish they played my song today. They, don't even, they never play that song anymore. And I really wish like my community group looked a little bit different than it does, or the study that I have would look different than it, it does. And I mean, let's be honest, some of you in this room, not in this room, but some of you have served before because you consume by contributing the way that you want. But what happens is, is when we do that, there's this subtle lie that creeps into the church and subtle lie that creeps into our lives. It's about us. And guess what? You start to believe that your preferences are God's preferences. And then what happens? You compromise the cross. See, because guess what? The cross was not something, just something that Jesus did. It's something that we are supposed to partake in with him. We are supposed to pick up our cross daily. So you wonder why there's no power in your life? It's because your obedience is still optional. You wonder why there's no like, oh man, I, I just feel like God's moving in my life and there's so many awesome things that are happening. It's because we still live in a society where we can have maximum opinion with no responsibility. This is the life we live in. So what's the point number one I'm trying to make? Declare your allegiance. Declare your allegiance. You can either joyfully accept Jesus or you can totally reject him. This verse is meant to say, there's no in-between. 
So when I think about hearing the voice of God, what it means for me is I want you to literally say out loud whose authority you're living by. I mean, you say out loud, God, you have my authority today. Sovereign Lord is what what Simeon said. I mean, some of you in this room, you need to say as you're driving to work, look, I know these circumstances, these people frustrate me, like I'm so tired of them. And all you say is, God, you have my allegiance. Jesus, you have my allegiance. I want to hear from you. I want to make myself available. Declare your allegiance. And what's the second thing he says? And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So I don't know about you, but I have this internal conversation with myself all the time. Maybe I'm the only person that does this where I live life and I constantly, after every circumstance that happens, I just constantly talk to myself. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're, you leave a conversation, you're like, I wonder what they thought about that. And I wonder if I should have made that decision. And what am I gonna eat for lunch? And what, you start having this like internal debate with yourself. When you begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, that inner argument that you have turns into inner authority that the Holy Spirit has. Where all of a sudden you can feel the weight that shifts when you're like, I gotta apologize. I need to go there. I need to say I'm sorry. And you give the Holy Spirit authority over your thought life. Man, I'll change some things. What does the sign mean? Be a sign to be spoken against. What, What happened? It says that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and now she has a child. So the virgin birth is the sign. Every time a sign happens in the Bible, you need to know this. Every time the sign happens in the Bible, it's not just about the miracle. It's about the divine truth that it's revealing. So think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. What, he, what does he do? He feeds 5,000 people. And everybody's all fired up and excited. And he's like, I'm the bread of life. You will eat of me. And everybody's like, never mind. You know, I like run away from him, right? Think about the other one. I am the resurrection and the life. What happens? He raises Lazarus from the dead. That's the sign that matches the truth. So what is happening right here? There is a sign, the virgin birth, the Holy Spirit's work. And here's the thing. Uh, People were definitely talking about Mary behind her back. Think about Simeon. Think about being the guy who's saying to everybody, hey, you know that Messiah we've been waiting on the entire time as Jewish people? Yeah, I'm going to be able to see him with my own two eyes. And everybody's like, yeah, right. Until it was true. Just like, you know, I think I had a friend who was like, man, God told me I'm going to marry her. I'm like, no, he didn't. No way he did, did he do that. And then he married her. I'm like, well, maybe. You know, like that's literally how I feel sometimes. <laughs> it's like the Holy Spirit. And here's something about the Holy Spirit you need to know. When God speaks to you, people will speak against you. When God speaks to you and says, hey, go, take that step, be that radical, follow that, and you do it, and you give God the credit in the back end, People are gonna be like, oh man, that was, that was so weird. That, that, that made no sense. When you're in the middle of it, it makes no sense. But then you can explain it afterwards. You're like, that was God. And I find ourselves all the time, we're afraid to take a step because of what people will say. I know for me, I fear approval more than anything. Like I literally will not talk about Jesus and I'm paid to talk about Jesus because of the fear of man. It's so weird. But all of us wrestle with this, a sign that will be spoken against. So my question is, when's the last time you were spoken against because of your faith? Like when is the last time where you're like, I follow Jesus, but nobody knows. When's the last time you're spoken against because of your faith? So point two, demonstrate your obedience. Demonstrate your obedience. Ask the Holy Spirit to prompt you from within. What had happened with Simeon? He was moved by the Spirit. This week, this actually happened to me. I was actually not gonna tell a story I'm about to tell in just a second. And I'm walking through this aisle and I look to my right in like the dinnerwares kind of section. I don't know why I was there. But I was walking through this like dinnerwares and I see a TCU football sitting there. And I'm like, okay, that's a nudge from the Holy Spirit. I'm supposed to tell the story. 
So, right when I graduated, I actually moved to Texas and I lived right next to TCU's campus and I worked at a church there. And let's just say the church was going from traditional to contemporary and they're trying to figure all that out. So we had people that were like from suits to skinny jeans, if you know what I mean. Like that's like the the demographic, right? And I'm supposed to be taken seriously. So I kind of start wearing nicer clothes. And then one morning I'm in my closet and I just bought these new shoes that I love. And I'm looking at these shoes and I'm like, I shouldn't wear those. And I was like, no, I should wear them. You know, like that feeling where I'm like, this will be too flashy, but I'm gonna wear them anyways. And I was on the greeting team that morning. Of course, guess what happens? I'm standing there and this guy comes up to me and he says, I like your shoes. And we start talking. Come to find out he played middle linebacker at TCU. He's a beast. And he begins to tell me, he's like, hey man, I've been dating my, my girlfriend for a while and we have a kid. And you know, when I played football here, we had to come once a year to this church out of superstition and so I didn't know where else to go. I'm actually at a crossroads in my life. That's why I'm here. I'm like, oh my goodness. This is why I'm here, right? This is the ministry moment. And so I'm like, uh, uh, trying to come with some answer, you know, to give him. And I'm like, well, why don't you come back like on Wednesday? We're doing like a youth thing. You can be a bouncer for middle schoolers. And he's like, oh, I'd love to do that. So, so he comes back as a bouncer for these middle schoolers, right? On Wednesday night. And this moment's incredible where I'm like, yeah, you stay out here, make sure no kids leave, you know? And I'm inside and there's this moment happening where the preacher gets up there at the speaker of the night and he presents the gospel and invites all these kids, if they want to, to come down to the front and receive Christ. And this moment's happening, I'm praying, God, please move and, you know, do the whole thing. And I see little, you know, bodies start to stand up and I watch a bunch of middle schoolers go down to the front to give their life to Christ. And then I feel this massive wave of a shadow pass by my shoulder. And it was Kenny. And he was walking down to the front, got down on his knees and gave his life to Christ. I had no idea he was even in the room. I thought he was still outside. And I can tell you, that's just, I had this much of, I had nothing to do with the story except for the shoes. I mean, literally, he got plugged in with the community group. Some other guys got involved. Next thing you know, now he's a coach. He has more kids. He actually uh, uh, proposed to his girlfriend like right away. He completely changed his life around. It's this amazing story of the faithfulness of God. But before I left, I only lived there for two months. Before I left, he said, hey man, can I have lunch with you? So we sit down at lunch. He looks me in the eye and he says, I think God put those shoes on you. That was what he wanted to tell me. And I said, I think you did too. <laughs> and, and the reason why I'm telling you that story right now is because I'm so sick and tired of me explaining away the glory of God and what he does in my life. And maybe for you, what happens? God does step after step after step after step. And what do you do? You explain it away. You say, oh, that was a coincidence. Oh, that, that wasn't him. I mean, that was really crazy how this all happened and came together. But like, no, I think we need to be the kind of people who say yes to the Holy Spirit and demonstrate our obedience. And that story is not about me at all. I want you to see that this is not meant for people who stand on stages and talk about Jesus. This is meant for you. That the Holy Spirit wants to actually indwell within you and not just intervene occasionally into your life. He wants to be the authority that speaks to you as you live your daily life. So demonstrate your obedience. Well, how does he finish? This is the last thing he says in the prophecy. So that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is so obvious, but the sword is this, the word of God. It pierces between soul and spirit. That's for us, but for Mary, you know what I meant? It was a prophecy that would be fulfilled that we read later in Luke. And it's the moment where a mom watches her son on a cross. And as she stands there and feels the weight of what's happening, She watches as a long sword, a spear by a Roman centurion is pierced into the skin and the side of her son, Jesus. 
And as she watches that spear go into his side, it's not that she then felt the actual piercing in her skin, but I guarantee you she felt it in her soul. This prophecy is revealed. And what's the point? The point is this word of God can actually discern your experience. That's point number three, discern your experience. We have to learn to realize that the conflicts in our life, that God came, sent Jesus, not only to, I mean, there's literally, we have to make a choice for conflict among us, but he actually wages war in our soul as well. So when it comes to your experiences, you have to lay bare your soul before this book. Look at the biblical characters. Look at the depth of the story. See what God is doing. And say, man, God, I examine my heart. Do in me something new. Let the word of God discern your experience. So I know for my life, I've found these three points to be true. And I hope they'll be helpful for you. Declare your allegiance, demonstrate your obedience, and discern your experience. Discern your experience. I know for me, a lot of times what I expect keeps me from what God wants me to experience. And I want to make sure that I don't miss out on any word that he has to say to my soul. I want to make sure I'm so in tune with his voice. But what's so crazy is I could actually end the sermon and say, those are three points and then go. But I actually want the word of God to discern something for us today. See, because there's actually a link because Luke doesn't just write Luke. He also writes the book of Acts. And so if you think about the context of the story and you think about who Luke is, I think about it this way. Luke writes Luke about the story of Jesus, the gospel of Luke, to show us that God dwelled among us through Jesus. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. He sends his Holy Spirit afterwards. So all of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, are known as God now dwelling in us. So God dwelt among us. Now God dwells in us. And I want you to see something that I saw that I I cannot believe. This is how amazing the Bible is. So we're going to turn together. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, and I believe this is going to speak to you in a powerful way. Because the Holy Spirit moves from being this promise or this occasional intervention in the story of Scripture to now being full presence and indwelling within us. So just before we read it, uh, I need to give you some context um, about Peter. And Peter is one of my favorite Bible characters. I love talking about Peter. And the story of Peter is kind of crazy because he's called by Jesus to follow him. And then he follows him, does all these signs, walks on water, does a bunch of really cool stuff. But then right before Jesus goes to the crucifixion, to the cross, Peter actually denies him three times and is scared. What happens after that? Jesus raises from the grave and actually calls back Peter, restores his relationship with Peter and says, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter, the rock. And what happens? You move into Acts. Acts starts where the Holy Spirit comes, fills um, Peter, and then he goes and preaches at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit goes out. All of a sudden, revival is happening. The story of Jesus gets out. And that's why we're talking about it today because of the faithfulness of those first few. And Peter, in the story of Luke and Acts, is talked about constantly. But this, we're about to read, is the last moment where Peter preaches at all. This is the last time actually Luke records him in the Acts. So it's crazy. We're going to look at it in a second. But what the context is, is this is the council of Jerusalem. This is the moment where they're going to decide who gets into the family of God. Do you have to be circumcised now or not? And that's why Paul, Barnabas, all these people came together to discuss who gets into the family of God. We're going to read it together. Acts chapter 15, verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, 
showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So think about this connected to Simeon. What does Simeon say? Simeon starts the story, how? In the prophecy. He says, you have to choose. There's no neutral ground. Make a choice. What does Peter say on the back end? God made a choice about you. What does he say? There's gonna be a sign that's spoken against you. This is what Simeon says. What does Peter say? Yeah, the sign for the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit, it's been given to you. What does Simeon say in the prophecy? Oh, there will be a sword that will pierce your own soul. For why? To reveal the thoughts of your heart. And what does Peter say after? God knows your heart. And he purified your heart by faith. See, these two stories are completely connected. Think about this. Simeon, the man who God hears in Jerusalem, is where? In Jerusalem. Where is this council happening? In Jerusalem. Why were the parents there? Why were Mary and Joseph there? For their son to be circumcised, to fulfill the law. What are they talking about? Circumcision. And now he's saying, it has no value because the Holy Spirit has come. That's the only thing that intertwines between these two stories, the intervention of the Holy Spirit. But what happens? Paul gets up afterwards. It says this, if you love Paul, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. So afterwards, Peter preaches this sermon saying, hey, they're getting in because the gift of the Holy Spirit has gone out. And now Paul gets up and he begins to talk about those very signs and wonders. Yeah, I've seen it happen. Doesn't make sense, but God is moving in the Gentiles. So much so, he's so passionate about it, he actually writes a letter called Galatians to the church in Galatia, talking about the fact that all of us get into the family of God and we don't have to be circumcised. And this is this moment, if you read in Galatians, what does he talk about most? The Spirit. He talks things like, he says things like, hey, we need to walk in step with the Spirit. We need to walk by the Spirit. You need to be evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says this in Galatians chapter five. I want you to see it. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Love that is named Jesus. A guy I follow, a Quaker theologian, believe it or not, named Elton Trueblood says it this way. Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservations. Where's your trust today? Where's your allegiance today? Where's your obedience today? If you tell me you wanna hear the voice of God, you tell me you want God to speak into your life, you tell me you want him to intervene on your behalf, what does it say after, they, after Paul said that? When they finished, Paul and Barnabas, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Okay, who's James? James is the half-brother of Jesus, probably the person who'd heard the Simeon story enough times to count. He's actually the ruler over, or the uh, leader over the church in Jerusalem. He's the half-brother, which means that whatever he says is the final decision. And he stands up, everybody sits down, gets really quiet, and I believe he looks over at Peter, 
and he says this. I want you to look at it for yourself in the Bible. Look at your Bible right now. Verse 14. Addressing Peter, he says, Simeon. Simeon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. Who's he talking to? James looks at Peter and says, Simeon. This is the only time in all of Luke, who writes a ton about Peter, the only time in all the Acts, where he looks and addresses Peter as Simeon. Because if you don't know, Peter's first name was actually Simon or Simeon. There's this connection between the two. There's this connection, and what is it? It says it in the verse. Has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. So good. So what's he really talking about? He's talking about the fact that God first intervened into the story of the world. He spoke the world into existence and then he intervened into our story through a baby, Jesus. He's connecting the birth story to the story of the church. And he's saying, you know what the thread is? The Holy Spirit moving and God intervening. What am I saying? I'm saying that so many of you in this room, you have been still living from the power of a past season where you accepted Jesus. I remember the time, okay, God, I remember when you intervened in my life when I was 16 and I said, I'll give my life to you. Or maybe you think about the facts in your life, the different opportunities, obstacles you faced. Maybe it was that God intervened when you were gonna take your own life and all of a sudden there was a way out. Maybe it was a moment where you had no financial security and all of a sudden God intervened and then you had a way. Maybe there were moments where you got the diagnosis and all of a sudden it became the hope for somebody else. Maybe there's a moment in your life where God continued to intervene in ways you least expected. And now you look back on that season, you say, that's where the power of God was on my life. That's what happened. No, God wants to intervene in your story today. God wants to continue to intervene. And maybe today you are sitting here right now and you feel so far from God and you feel the power of God so absent from your life because you don't realize that he's been waiting to intervene and speak to you this whole time. So whether you find yourself needing an intervention from anxiety, from depression, from struggle, from family values, family dynamics that you're not looking forward to this Christmas. God wants to intervene into your story and all he takes is you to make yourself available. Say, God, here I am. I give my allegiance to you. Thank you for intervening. Thank you for choosing me first so I could choose you. Thank you for giving me the sign of the Holy Spirit so I could actually even obey you because I know how messed up my heart is. Thank you for purifying me by faith that is love because you love me first. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna sing a song. The band's gonna come up here. And I want you guys to do that. I don't know what this means for you. I don't know what circumstance you find yourself in, but I know that the voice of God wants to break through in your life if you would just give him a second. So maybe for you, it's like Kenny, where you actually need to come down and say, God, I give you this. I give you this circumstance, I give you control. Maybe for you it means something different. It just means saying, God, you have my allegiance. Again and again, I want your power, I wanna hear your voice. And then we're gonna sing about that power. So Father, I thank you for this time where we got to open your word. And God, I thank you that you did not leave me to myself. I thank you that you intervened in my life. I thank you that every single one of us here right now, hearing the message of Jesus, have the opportunity still when we think it's too late, when we think we've gone too far, when we think we've made too many mistakes, you're waiting for us to just say, come, 
So Lord, I pray right now that you would come fill this place, that you would speak in power to the heart that needs to be comforted, that you would speak in power to the person who's never given their life to you, that this is the moment that they would give their allegiance. So Father, I don't believe we're here by accident. I don't believe that there's an opportunity that's not wasted by you. So Lord, I pray that you would speak in power, that we would trust your voice as you say something to us. So Father, I thank you for the joy that I get to celebrate this season of Jesus' birth. I thank you that my mom is still here. I thank you that my son is still growing. I thank you that we have so many blessings to be grateful for. So Father, I pray that we would give all glory back to you. Help us to trust your voice. Help us to see you clearly. We want more of you, Jesus. Come and fill this place right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.